0: Hi, you're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is from Palm Sunday on April 10th, 2022, where John Landis preaches through Matthew 21, where Matthew captures Jesus entering into Jerusalem which with much fanfare, cheering, and shouts of Hosanna. We learn three things as our King rides in. We learn that he's a confrontational king. Secondly, we'll learn that he's a counterintuitive king. And thirdly, he is indeed our coming king. Enjoy the sermon and be sure to come back right here to check out more sermons. Enjoy. Let's take a break, two week break really for Palm Sunday and Easter from our study in the book of Acts. And uh, I invite you to flip over to Matthew chapter 21. Well, we're just going to learn three things about Jesus this morning to prayerfully prepare our hearts uh, for Easter next Sunday. So Matthew 21, and uh, three things. I'm going to tell you what I am going to tell you, and then I'll tell you, and then I'll tell you what I told you. Uh, so this is really kind of an old school sermon, not, uh, not your typical tech talk that a lot of preachers try to do these days. I'm not into that, uh, but I can learn and I can grow and uh, all that, but uh, I'll do you. I'll do my typical old school sermon uh, today. So I've got three points. It's been a while since I've said that, hasn't it? Uh, so i got three points, three things uh, of who Jesus is. A with me on this. He's a, he's a young guy, we're both reading a lot of the same uh, preaching books, so it is. Uh, Matthew 21, I'll get along with it. That's also what I need to do here. So uh, three points. The first one is he's a confrontational king. The second one, he's a counterintuitive king. This will all be on the screen, so don't worry about your 100 words per minute here typing skills. And he's the coming king. So he is the confrontational, he's counterintuitive, and he's coming. And the first point this morning, as you may see behind me, he is the confrontational king. Let's read along here, and starting in verse 1 of Matthew 21. As they approached, that's the Jesus and his disciples, Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. Disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So that sets the stage, you know, that Hosanna in the highest. What does Hosanna, many of you have heard this, have had many Palm Sunday services, but Hosanna uh, isn't just hooray, 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 we're glad you're here. Hosanna means save us, help us, Uh, we need you. And uh, Hosanna wasn't only uh, hearkened to Jesus. This wasn't the first time crowds had swelled in Jerusalem to say Hosanna. Uh, Just 200 years prior to this, uh, uh, Judas of Maccabees, who you may or may not have heard of, uh, actually led a revolt to push out the Romans, uh, failed in that, but he actually entered Jerusalem on a horse, uh, contrasted to Jesus on a small donkey here, and they were shouting the same things to him, to Judas Maccabeus, because they wanted to be saved from what? Occupation. They wanted to be saved from their hardships, and all that came along with that with the Romans. So I don't blame them for wanting to be saved by the Romans. I don't blame them for shouting out "Hosanna." But I want you to know that uh, Jesus saw right through the very temporary fame he was receiving as he walked through Jerusalem. Uh, fame was fleeting, and that's new. That was not new then, and it's not new now, right? You can be on top of your game in one day, and the next week you're you know you're you're getting you're getting pushed out. So Jesus had heard these words of Hosanna, and we'll talk more about this, that Jesus knew what they really needed even though they were asking for something else in in this moment. So it is Palm Sunday because those palms uh, actually were cut off from limbs and were strewn the roads, literally created this kind of red carpet, so to speak, of palm branches for this king that they wanted to redeem them, to save them, uh, to bring in this sense of, of messianic fever to have Jerusalem be reestablished and all of Israel with it. So what we see here is that Jesus is welcomed in. But as we read our Gospels, and it's been a time, been a time since we've dug into a particular Gospel. So let me remind you: as you read through your Gospel, you're going to see Jesus confronting the world. Yes, that he came from heaven, came here to live, to confront. He's confronting all that's broken. He's confronting all that's been flipped upside down to make it right. He's confronting religiosity, he's confronting hypocrisy, he's confronting uh, wrong theology, and he confronts our hearts. And what's at the center of our hearts? Sin, he comes to confront that which is destroyed, what God has always designed for that. And those of us who are disciples, we're grateful that God confronted our sin, because without it, we don't see clearly, we don't repent, and we can't have the security of being saved, amen. It's not pleasant to be confronted. Uh, some of you are confrontational, but there's really no person that loves confrontation. Uh, you may seek it. You might have started to steal your stealth and say, "Yeah, I'm a confrontationalist. I don't mind it." Well, really, in your core, of course, you actually don't. Uh, and if you do, you're actually more on the you're more akin to a psychopath than you are a human. So. Uh, it's not something to be proud of or beat your chest but that you're confrontational. So you're actually more psycho if you, that's who you are. So we need rerouting, and uh, some of us are better at it. I like to say that. Some of us are better at confrontation than others, but no one's really meant to be great at it uh, because confrontation wasn't supposed to exist uh, as God designed the world. Amen? So some of your jobs call for it, and you know, go for it. Uh, but do everything as if you're working for the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, side point, that's a freebie. Uh, so there's four points now for you. At this point. But Jesus is confrontational. He's confrontational in a number of examples. We know early in Jesus' ministry, as he healed the blind, as he healed the sick, as he came to, to, uh, to address even who he was, you'll see Jesus actually hushing people about his, his true identity. Do you remember those times in the Gospels? Yeah. Where he heals two blind men early, and they're like, whoa, shh, don't tell anyone. Here's the de- demoniac across uh, the sea of Get. Gethsemane, or not Gethsemane, but Sea of Galilee. He heals him and Jesus wants him to come or doesn't, doesn't want him to come with him and say, hey, you know, go back. Go back to the, to the town and tell, tell them who I am. But that was a healthy distance between where Jesus was going to be preaching uh, to where this land of the Gentiles was. No one's coming over there. No religious ruler's coming over to where he's going back to the capitalists to tell about Jesus. But there's a number of occasions where Jesus says, don't tell anybody who I am. Have you ever wondered why Jesus did that? Yeah. Why is Jesus telling people not to? And it's crazy in Scripture. Is that when Jesus tells us not to tell us tell others about Him, we blab our mouths all over the place about Him? But He tells us to go and make disciples, and we have a hard time doing that, don't we? So this is ironic. This is human nature, I guess. But uh, over and over again, He says shh, 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 and He knows that if the excitement of who He is continues to stir up early in His ministry. People are going to make claims about him that are not always true, and that's going to stir up the religious rulers to try to tamp down that excitement, that messianic truth, and actually end his ministry much earlier than when he will decide to allow his ministry to end. So, here in this text, he actually, uh, or actually prior to this in chapter 20, Jesus again heals two men, and they're actually claiming loudly, boastfully. In the middle of this procession, son of David, have mercy on us. Remember that story. And Jesus at that point doesn't say, shh, pipe down, guys. He actually goes right up to them in front of everyone and says, what do you want me to do for you? They say, we want to see. And he does it in the wide open. And it's this, I'm going to where I was called to go. There's no hiding here. I know what proceeds, it. I know what is coming. And I'm ready to walk right into it. But he confronts, he confronts these two men and he confronts everyone else as they see him heal these two men. And he goes on and on, even in this text, I didn't read it, verse 12 through 17. As soon as Jesus goes through this crowd of, of, of celebration, he goes right to the temple and he flips tables. And some gospel authors say that there were two occasions uh, where Jesus flipped tables. Earlier in John's gospel, and you'll see that he does it pretty early, and I here, this is towards the latter stages, the last week or so of Jesus' life. But Jesus goes right to the temple here and flips houses. He tells people, shh, don't tell anybody who I am. Then he goes into the temple and says, you know what? I'm gonna rearrange the furniture. Well, the truth is, whose house must it be for you to feel confident to go in and rearrange the furniture? You better not go into my house and start rearranging the furniture, even if, you think, even if I think it needs it. You don't touch it, you don't move it. That's, I'll do that. If you go into somebody else's house, shoot, you don't even touch another man's radio when you're in the car, right? So don't try to go into someone's house and rearrange the furniture, but Jesus does. You know why? Because that's his house. And he's making that claim. This is my house. And I want to change anything I want. You've made it into a den of robbers, a, a, a den of thieves. I'm flipping tables to set this right. Jesus does that. What Jesus is doing throughout his ministry, and especially at this point, is he's forcing an issue. He's confronting each and every one of us. You can't read a gospel, truly, with with a a lens of the Lordship and not answer this question. Crown me or kill me. That's it. That's the only choice that the gospel gives you about Jesus. Crown me or kill me. Embrace me fully or run away from me. Jesus isn't here to be liked. Jesus isn't here to be our homeboys. He's not here to be this, you know what, I like this guy and what he gives me. I like that he rounds me out a little bit. I like that he has some sort of message about peace and wholesomeness. I like all of that. I like his morality. That's not what Jesus came here for. He came to confront the world, to set it right, and then to ask us the question, do you want all of me or none of me? Because he's not offering any less than all of of it to you and I. And that's that's a confrontational statement. And he's super confrontational. He's confrontational here at, at, at Palm Sunday. Here I am, Hosanna, son of David. He doesn't say, no, you're wrong. He says, that's right. That's exactly who I am. I am the Messiah. I am here to set right. I do come from the house of David. To say son of David was to say Lord. It's, it's a messianic truth. It's not just another you know, nice saying that's uh, Jewish in nature. It is to say you are of the messianic line. You are it. You are the one we've been waiting for. So they're making all these statements, although they don't know what they're really asking for at this point. But it's confrontational. And he hears all that. He embraces all that. And he goes right into the temple. And he makes arrangements that only God can do in the temple. We know Jesus as this incredibly humble and meek man. Another reason why he's confrontational. What I mean by that is Jesus is tender. He's so sweet. He's so gentle. He's gentle with women and children, which is by far just mind-blowing for this time and age, for sure. He's gentle with prostitutes. He's gentle with other people from different races and nations. Then he also says these really, really, really immodest things. He says things like, before Abraham, I am. Like, whoa, that's that's kind of high on the hog type stuff. You just said what? I'm God. Yeah. You know, if he's not God, that's really immodest. You know, that's really like, whoa, easy, easy boy. And sure, they they try to kill him for all of that. He says a number of things like, I saw Satan fall from heaven, meaning I was there when it happened. Wow. These are these are in tremendous statements. But if you heard your coworker whisper something even remotely close to that, you'd be like. HR We've gotta help this guy. We gotta help this girl. She's lost it. And Jesus is saying these things and they'll stare you right in the eyes and say, Did I stutter? That's exactly what I said. And you gotta to come to grips with that. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'll actually enlighten you further as to what that meant. You know, these are confrontational statements. Yeah, man. But he has this just incredible balance that we've never ever seen before and we'll never see again, of this humility but immodesty. (laughs) You know, normally, if someone's humble, they're also pretty modest, right? Someone's humble and you say, hey man, you try to build them up, it's not false humility at this point, it's kinda like, ah, almost a little bit of self-doubt in there, yes? But then you also meet people that are not humble and they're usually not modest. Right? People that are not humble are usually the ones saying some pretty strong things to people and aren't necessarily super sweet and tender with people of other nations and beliefs and ideas, right? That's usually how it goes. But Jesus is this perfect mix of gentle, humble, but yet has some strong statements to prove to us he really is this confrontational king. He is asking us this morning, crown me or kill me. As we prepare for Easter, crown me or kill me. Jesus is saying to us you can give me anything or give me everything and you can make me lord or you can run away from me and try to kill me. In both cases, you're listening to what I'm saying, but you've got to make a choice. I will not let us as Jesus says, he won't let us linger in the middle. I love that Jesus doesn't care about being liked. That's confrontational. In today's society, isn't being liked everything? To kind of walk around and do things, say things, stand firm and not be liked is kinda of like, whoa man, like what why are you rocking the boat here? Like there's enough chaos in the world. Why are you why are you gonna stand there? Why are you gonna try to die on that hill? Why are you trying to be moral in that regard? Like, man, can't we just set up our environment? our workplace, our family, where everything's just kumbaya. Everyone's got a guitar, everyone's singing, everyone's roasting marshmallows proverbially. Like that's it, that's what what our society wants, is for nothing to challenge anyone. That we can walk through work, we can walk through our day, we can walk through our friendships, and I never have to think differently than I do right now. And if I do want to think differently, it's because I chose to. Not you said something, you did something, this person did something, looked at me this way to make me think about what I think. Yeah. Isn't that it? So what's the most likable thing in a today's society? It's just be accepting. Like whatever you think, man, good on you. That's very likable. That's a tremendously likable characteristic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. And I fall victim to that? So do you. It's like, man, can't we just all get along? Doesn't that mean Hey, can we just not challenge and think differently in this moment? Can we just let it go, right? Now I'm not saying you need to be a hammer looking for nails, but Jesus sure came in with a purpose, and he wasn't going to be moved from it. And I think if we know who he is, if he's truly going to be our king, oh, hello, all right, thank you. Thanks, Caleb. Appreciate <laughs> you. Know, Caleb. Great job, Caleb. i <laughs> just going to back up a little bit until we get that fixed. Thanks, guys. Sorry to call you out. That's why they got the. let see if I can find my place here. I'll just start here. Uh, again, Palm Sunday sends us face to face with the confrontational King. He wants us to make this choice, and I love that Jesus doesn't want to just be liked. He doesn't want to be simply approved of. He doesn't care about his approval rating. He wants us to know who he is, for us to worship and obey him, or he wants you to deny him and flee him. Now, he doesn't want that, but it's better then, as Revelation tells us, it's better for you to be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Don't somehow try to swim in the middle. It's like you're better off making a choice than somehow trying to find some, yeah, I like him, but I don't like this. So today on Palm Sunday, this confrontational king, once again, stares us all in the eyes this morning. You have to go here, you have to go here. It's uncomfortable, but you have to go here. Jesus comes before Easter, and he stares at each and every one of us and says, are you ready to make me the center of your life? You know, whatever the year's been, whatever the years have been, every year we get an opportunity to stare Jesus in the face remember what he's done for us remember how he walks to this moment for you and i and he stares at us and says are you ready are you ready for this are you ready to make me all of your life not just part of your life are you ready to make me have all the authority in your life not just some of your life everything runs through my lens versus yours the way you live your life, the way you make sense of the quiet moments in your mind, the way you make sense of how you think, the way you make sense of people, the way you make sense of your career, your future, your worries, your anxieties, your finances, your money, your children's future—everything has got to funnel through this confrontational king. It begs the question for all of us to ask and answer, even as we prepare for Easter: Are there areas of our lives where, over the last two years, let's just let's just let's just own it? Over the last two years, it's been different. <laughs> I know we're not the same church as we used to be. Some of some of the things were better, and some of the things we're not so good at anymore. And it takes every one of us to make a decision to let God be God of all again. Yeah. That's right. Because I was able to kind of swim through the last two years with God not having to be all of everything. But now, God is confronting me. Once again and says, hey, it's all. Or nothing at all. Yeah. You know, yesterday we had a soccer game with my son, and um, it was tough. You know, this this reveals a lot in my heart as a dad with a son who's competitive as I am. He's a goalie, and he's uh, he gets a lot of pressure. You know, if you've ever been a goalkeeper, it's probably the worst position on the field <laughs> because you're only as good as your last save, and it's just an easy target. He scored two. We scored one. We lost. Cam missed two. It's just kind of like he carries that weight. And um, yesterday, I overheard another dad, you know, my worst fear, kind of being sarcastic about my son's performance in the first half. My son played super well, but it made a mistake and they scored. It, it was his mistake. He owned it. And uh, but it was kind of a, a comment, and he didn't think I heard it. But boy, did I want to give away some authority in my life and take it back. I had so, I'm just, this confession session, I had so many evil thoughts running through my mind. Like so, like unnecessarily, like this is a ridiculous scenario for me to be thinking some of the things I was thinking. But I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, like, I was like, I'm gonna knock this guy out. I'm gonna be that dad. And and when he gets off the ground, I'm gonna crush him, sarcastic. I had statements, I I won this fight five times over in my mind. (laughs) Like he was gonna be leaving this field completely embarrassed with nothing to hold on to about his career, about who he is, about his son on the field. Like I was gonna shred everything. I had comments about you name it. Where he went to school, where he lived, I was just, I'll take every little thing about who you are and shred you as you walk. And the next time you see me, you know I'm better than you and you better not say anything about my boy again. Like, that's where I was in an instant. And I remember just standing there at halftime like, oh my gosh. Like, I haven't felt like this since, like, high school and some of the things I was thinking. I was like, what is going on? But I felt very justified. I felt very, almost like, free to kind of be mad and felt liberated to kind of have some authority where I can, you know, I, I might, I might do this. Like I was really thinking about it. And I was like, wow, give over that authority. You know, it wasn't that I didn't end up doing that, that I won the battle, but the authority of my own heart, my own mind to let those, let those thoughts come and say, where are you going with this job? But then say, you know what, nah, I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna keep this this tape playing. You know, I like this. I like thinking this way about this guy. You know what, and I've got good reason to. Have you ever done that before? Where you know, like, this isn't, I'm, I'm taking some authority back. You know what, it feels good to be in control yeah. and give way. God's asking you, are there areas like that in your life? Where God's saying, you know what, Jesus is coming look at well, your eyes and saying, hey, I'm confronting these areas. I'm confronting these areas, these thoughts that you let linger, these tapes that you play in your mind. I'm confronting this negative way that you look about yourself. I'm confronting some of the things that you you haven't forgiven. I'm confronting some of your biases. I'm confronting some of your your hypocrisy. I'm confronting your sin that you're hiding. I'm confronting these lukewarm ways of discipleship that you've embraced discipleship as church attendance rather than lordship and relationship. I'm embracing our self, I'm uh, not embracing, but confronting my selfishness of how I use my time, of how I use my phone, how I use my life. These are things that we've got to think about. And Jesus isn't coming in to say, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. You stink, you stink, you stink, you stink. He says, I've got something so much more I'm bringing to you, but I've got to confront this. Because you're asking for things, and I've got so much better than what you're asking for. And that's why he's counterintuitive. That's why he's counterintuitive. That's my second point here. We'll rattle through these pretty quickly here. Spent more time on the first one, but he's counterintuitive. And where do we get that? He, he rides in on a horse, or excuse me, he rides in on a, on a donkey. And everyone else prior to this, Judas of Maccabeus and every other messianic figure rides in on a horse, on a steed, riding on this incredible ceremony of I'm here to save. Jesus is very deliberate about riding in on a little animal. It's very clear that he's making a, a, a very, very clear statement about fulfilling scripture in Zechariah that we read here. But he's also making a very clear uh, and somewhat, you know, sense it's almost comical that, you know what, you think you want this, and I've got something else for you. You ask for this, but you know what, I've got something else for you, and it's going to be way better than you could have ever imagined. You know, Jesus comes in and we know as we celebrate communion every Sunday that Jesus brings salvation through tremendous weakness. That's counterintuitive. Everything the Jews want, everything we want, we want strong leaders, we want convinced people in our lives, we want strength upon strength upon strength. I was having coffee and iced tea, I was having coffee, this brother was having iced tea, sweet tea, yesterday. And both of us, were just talking about how both of us don't have a very good relationship with weakness. I don't know many of you that do. Anybody have a great relationship with weakness? Like, yes, I love it when weaknesses show up. Please show me my weaknesses. I love that moment. It's fantastic. I don't Anybody? No, none of us have a great relationship with weakness, but you know who did? Jesus. Jesus had a very good and healthy relationship with weakness. And we see here that he he, he was so so okay with weakness that he came in in a counterintuitive way that I'm going to show you how to, to be strong by being weak. I'm going to bring about the greatest strength this world has ever seen by going through what looks like a tremendous beating and weakness. You know salvation through weakness for people and salvation comes when we admit that we need God, right? That's ultimately what Easter reminds us is that we need it. Without him, without him raising from the dead, we don't have a chance. And we will never be saved unless we admit that we're weak and are in need of a Savior. That's not a one-time deal. That's all the time, right? Embracing his authority. So we often start with that point of, you know what, when we want to go and get right with God, when we want to go to God, we recognize that we need something. We need something from him, right? We go to those. We go to God when we need something. Almost everyone... I know, or you know, goes to God because they recognize they have a problem. I got a problem, I got a need, I, I can't do this anymore, and we go to God. You know, as a slightly and less uh, less warranted and comical example, there's a story about this gentleman who went to go see a pastor in Philadelphia. And uh, even though he was the pastor of the church, he gets a call from a local hospital in the middle of the night, and one night he was, he was called to go in about 3 a.m. to meet a man he'd never met who needed to talk to a pastor. And when he got there, the man rushed up to him and says, I'm so sorry, they, I called you here because they diagnosed me with cancer, but I'm so sorry because they actually got the x-rays mixed up and I actually don't have cancer, so I don't need to talk to you anymore. So, guy's like, oh, you're a very interesting and fascinating person that you don't need a pastor. Okay, so tell me, the pastor says, what's it like to live forever? And the man didn't understand what he was saying. He says, I- I'm okay, pastor, I'm okay. The- did you hear me? The x-rays were mixed up. It's not mine. I'm okay. I don't, I don't need to talk to you, a pastor anymore. Thanks so much for coming in, though, and good night. So he left. Ironically, he went home. In other words, we seek God when we need help. But how often in our lives when we don't think we need help, we don't go. And that's what this tells us about us, is that we go to God when we see a need or when we're broken or when we have that clear clarity in our minds. But we kind of go to God saying, you know what, this is what I need from you. This is what I need. And Jesus knows exactly what we need. And he comes to us anyway, even though we're asking for the very thing that, you know what, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm here to bring you. But what I am bringing you is way better than what you're asking for. So Jesus isn't going to push you away if you have a need. You don't have to have come, come perfectly figured out and say, okay, this is my need and I recognize it. No, no, no. We've seen that God is going to meet his children where they are. But he also understands that, you know what? I'm going to treat you as if you were asking for me or asking me for things if you knew everything. in a nutshell god always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew that's who our god is our god gives us everything we would need anything we would ask for if we knew everything he knows which means he knows what we don't know and how many times in our lives if you can reflect and i encourage you too where you've asked for something or you've wanted something and then hindsight's 20 20 are like oh my goodness not just, thank God he didn't answer that prayer, but oh my goodness, he answered that prayer and it wasn't the way I thought it would, and you know what? It's better than what I was asking for. It's better, the relationships, or you name it, even the way we became disciples, it was a more tremendous story than we could have planned ourselves. But God recognizes as this counterintuitive God that, and counterintuitive king, that what we need was something that was going to reconcile us to him. These people who were singing and shouting were saying, we need someone to to kick out the Romans. God says, no, 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 You don't need someone to kick out the Romans. You need someone to get you right with me. You need someone to break down the barriers, to break the chains, not of the Romans, but to break chains of your sin. We have a lifelong mismatch between what we want from God and what God is providing. We all struggle with that what we think we need, and what God says we need. But again, to remind us, we need liberation, and he's going to give us what we need. But in our minds, and these guys, for sure, are just like us. We can go to God and say, yes, save us, save us, save us. But if it doesn't happen the way we want it to, we say, "Ah, come on, I guess that wasn't it. Think about these people for a second. Save us, save us, save us! In three days, three days, Jesus is dead. You're it, you're it, you're it. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, he's dead. I guess that, I guess that wasn't it. I mean, how many times have I approached God like, God, do this, do this, do this? It doesn't happen on my timetable. Something else happens, and come on, God, what's going on? Are you even there? Am I just talking to myself? And I start questioning His, his existence. Am I the only one? I doubt it. But is this counterintuitive? He's different than what we think he is. He's different than what we are asking him to be. And thank God, he's different than what we're asking him to be, because he is this coming King. And I'll speak more of this just for time's sake tomorrow or next tomorrow, uh, next Sunday for Easter. Is that he? He is this coming King who is going to confound our expectations, but he's also going to exceed our expectations. He's going to give us more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And you know what? As spring springs, I want us to, I want to encourage you guys to, hopefully your allergies aren't too bad like mine, but uh, some people don't like spring. Like, oh my gosh, it's the worst time of the year for some of us. But these trees that are blossoming, and these flowers that are coming out and making you sneeze uncontrollably, Psalm 96 says something about those trees that are causing you to sneeze. It says there in verse 12, The trees of the wood will sing for joy before the Lord for he comes to rule the earth. Isaiah 55 speaks of our very mountains that surround us here in Roanoke. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You say, "Oh, a nice metaphor, that's awesome. Maybe, but what this is saying is that God has come to put everything right, and nature recognizes that God has come, and it's just a shadow of what they're going to be. This This gets me going emotionally more than anything else in scripture sometimes is looking at the trees and saying, they're so beautiful but they're not even close to what they're going to be these beautiful flowers everywhere in spring I just love them well, I love plant stuff and see it come out of the ground but that's even just that's just diminutive in comparison to what they're actually designed to be yeah. and that just goes crazy for me so the little little cult here that's riding on Jesus normally a small cult would be not happy when a new person sat on it. but Jesus rides right that thing right in beautifully. Just this perfect relationship between animal and Savior. Why that's important? That's the same thing that Isaiah eleven sixteen 16 talks about, is that the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion of the yearling together, and the child will lead them in. There's this beautiful picture of Jesus, this coming king, who's ready to set things right. And the same brother and I were talking yesterday, Jesus comes in wanting and knowing all the things that are broken in our world. He knew all the stuff that's broken these last two years, all the things that have been going on for far before that that have just been unearthed just a little bit. God knew all that already, and God knows exactly what you've gone through, and God isn't like, hey, hey, it's all good, I'm coming. He says, I know all that's broken, and I'm coming to set all that right. I see what's broken. I see how you've been hurt. I see how you've been sick. I see what poverty's doing. I see what oppression is doing. I see what old age is doing. I see this, I see this, I see this. But I'm coming, and all of it's going to change. That's our king right now. That's what we anticipate. That's what we look forward to. If you hate those things, so does Jesus. And he's coming to do those things. And as we talked yesterday, this brother and I, he comes and he cares so much that he's he's allowing himself to be affected by it. You can tell how much you care about someone by how much you allow them to affect you. You care about the homeless? Well, you don't just throw things at them. You actually go and mingle with them. And it affects you. It makes you sad. It breaks your heart. You're tired about how the elderly are being treated in our community? You go to them then, and you hear their stories. You hear how families leave them. You hear about this. You see the mistreatment in some cases. And it breaks you. It makes your life harder, doesn't it? Now that you have to carry around that emotional reality. For our healthcare workers, thank you so much. You guys had a front row seat to trauma over and over and over and over again. And it affects you. Why? Because you just wanna do a great job? No, because you care. That's why you did it in the first place. Parents out there, Your kids affect you. Why? Because you want to be mom of the year? No, because you love them and care for them. They affect you, their attitudes, their behaviors affect you. We had a nice argument in the car because we care about our kids and how they talk to us and how they talk to each other. It's harder to care. It's harder to keep caring. So as we celebrate Easter, it's a reminder that God cares and He's coming back. He sees what's broken, and he's going to come, and he's coming, and he's coming, and he's going to come, and let it affect him. So as we celebrate communion, it really is a celebration. That We have a king that's confrontational. He's counterintuitive, but he's coming, and he's coming to be affected so that we can be healed. He's never going to stop caring. He's never going to stop coming. One day he'll set it all right. Everything we ever ask for will be in clear, clear, clear clarity of, oh, I was asking for this, but this is what God was up to. So as we prepare for Easter next week, let us reflect on the areas where God needs to confront our hearts. So that when Jesus comes and we celebrate next Sunday, or he is risen, he is risen indeed, we've had that time for God to work on our hearts to say, okay, time for me to live a resurrected life in these areas where I've kind of led Let my heart stray away from his authority. Let's just let the truths of who he is resonate in our hearts of how he is counterintuitive. He's better than whatever we could ask for. We've asked for this. We go to him. He meets our needs, but it's way more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And let us think about how he's come. and how we'll celebrate all together next week with that reminder that he came to be affected. Thank God that he did because he gives us an opportunity to live. He's always wanted us to look forward to all things coming to completion. Let's pray together. We'll have a short communion, time of reflection, and then we'll have a final song. Lord heaven, God, thanks so much for who you are and reminding us who you are as a king. That you're not just a celebrity. You're not just someone who wants to be liked. You're not here just uh, dishing out uh, helpful things so that we can really uh, just keep coming to you, asking for what we want. You are a king that cares. You are a king that sees all the brokenness. You see the brokenness in our hearts, you see our struggle to even make you king of our lives that we want so badly to to have you be that for us, but we fall short. We know we all do. But God, thank you for confronting those areas in our lives lovingly, being patient with us and being merciful to allow us to change and recognize who you are once again. I pray for us as a church that we would let you confront us lovingly to change us from the inside out. God, we trust that you're confronting our world and that you will change it, that you will change our world, you will change the brokenness, and that you'll use us to partner with you in that. God, thank you that we come to you with needs and you have a greater insight, greater discernment, and a greater path than what we can understand. Thank you, God, for the spring season, except for the allergies. Uh, but we thank you for all this, God, as a reminder of new life, the opportunity that a new life will come, that everything will be renewed, and even though it's just a shadow of all that we will see one day as heaven comes to earth, we recognize, God, that it is beautiful and it is full and it's a reminder to us that you are alive, that we have the opportunity to live again as well. And God, we pray as we anticipate Easter next Sunday and your coming, we thank you reflect during our time of communion that you came to be affected, so much so that you're willing to give away your station in heaven with God and become a man, not recognize any authority with God as something to be grasped, and you even died your death on a cross. Thank you for that, God, that we can now look forward to a resurrection season, not just at Easter, but every day. We owe this all to you, our true King. We love you. We pray all and near sons. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.